And amen. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Now, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Genesis. Um, uh, in fact, it's been two months and a week. <laughs> I don't like keeping tabs of stuff like that, but sometimes you have to. <laughs> uh, it's been a good while. A lot of stuff has happened. Of course, the holidays happened, and, and then some very personal issues and matters that, that took place in, in my life and in some of your lives as well. So it's, it's taken us a while to get back here. Then I'm remembering that about uh, two months and a week uh, ago, um, I had actually begun a, a, a basic uh, introduction to the uh, life of Joseph uh, in Genesis 37. And uh, we looked at Joseph as a type of Jesus Christ, a type of Jesus Christ. And, and I mentioned to you, and I actually get, we, get, uh, we got two points on that back then. Uh, I'll mention those here in, in review, and then we'll go on into a few other points. But um, uh, it, it, was, it was important to do that. And, and as I was thinking this week, you know, I was coming back into this, and I thought, you know, we'd been so far removed from that last study, it would be so easy for me just to bring those same notes and just go over that whole teaching again. But then you all think I'd be lazy, so I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm just expanding on the introduction to the uh, chapter 37 because I, I think that there's some other issues that we want to look at today as well to build our understanding of the life of Joseph and how precious this life is. So I've entitled this series of studies, Studies in the Life of Joseph, from Genesis 37, where we're going to start today, all the way through to chapter 50. Now, today, again, is, is going to be a very basic introduction but also we're going to be dealing with uh, some very specific things. We're going to, as a matter of fact, deal with God's plan, purpose, and presence in the life of Joseph. And uh, so I want to read the first 11 verses to you and with you uh, just as a, a way to start off this study, uh, even though we're not going to look uh, detailed at, at this passage. We will, though, get back to it because it is important for us, first of all, to establish the understanding of God's purpose, plan, and presence in, in, in the life of Joseph. And then we can look at a lot more details as we go. But let's, let's start by reading in verses 1 through 11 this account. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Uh, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. And then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. And he said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him. And he said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I, you know, the, the moon and the sun... <laughs> And your brothers, the stars, indeed come to bow down to the earth before you. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. When I read through the life of Joseph 
And when I read through the life of Joseph, and and now I'm thinking that uh, since it's just February, and by now most of you, if you're reading through the Bible again, you should have already read through this. I'm assuming, I'm hoping, I'm praying, you already have. So if you have, then you've read it with me. But uh, when I read through this life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, a hymn comes to my mind. It is the hymn known as Trust and Obey. How many of you know that hymn? I mean, familiar with it. Okay, a few of you. Well, that comes to mind, and especially this stands up. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Joseph was a man who walked with God. And what a glory God shed on His way. He was a man who did God's will in the midst of all the adversity and in the midst of all the temptations that he faced. And as a result of it, God abided with him. So when you read a verse like 1 John chapter 3.24 where John says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him or abides in God and God abides in him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. But you you look at that first part. Now He who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in Him. When When you read a verse like that, in light of that verse, when you read the story of Joseph, you realize what a wonderful illustration of that truth we see in his life. What a wonderful example from a man who many times could have blown a fuse. Without raising your hands, think about this. How many of you have blown a fuse this past week? I mean, you blew a fuse. I'm not talking about the fuses in your house. I'm talking about the fuse inside of you. When you get really upset at something, get angry. Sometimes you even get mad. And you go off and you say things. And you you say things you don't really want to say. But you do it anyway. Then you feel really rotten afterwards, don't you? Because as Christians, we're not supposed to do that. But it happens sometimes. And Joseph could have blown a fuse over the way he was treated by his own brothers. He, he could have fallen into temptation in the house of Potiphar in Egypt. Later on, he could have gotten even with his brothers when he had the opportunity as, as prime minister of Egypt. And then because of that, he could have become arrogant and proud by his achievements and then turned bitter for being wronged. He could have done all those things. And yet in the midst of the surrounding pressures, Joseph remained as straight as an arrow in his walk with the Lord. It was as if in the mind and the heart of Joseph, when he would find himself in the middle of those temptations and pressures, or facing the jealousies and the hatred of his brothers against him, he would say to himself, what would the Lord God want me to do? God, what do you want me to do in the midst of this? And when he reached the heights of the glory that he would have in the land of Egypt. And as the account goes in the life of Joseph that later on after all of his ups and downs and all of his trials and tribulations, eventually his triumph. And he lands this position in the the government of Egypt and his brothers come down from Canaan because of the famine in the land and they come to Egypt hoping to find mercy from the Pharaoh to have food for, for the family to take back to, to Canaan. And they have to deal with, with Joseph, but they don't know that it's Joseph. They, they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognized his family. He recognized his brothers. And it would have been very easy for Joseph at that very moment, very moment in time to have his brothers stand in front of him and say to them, Boys, it's payback time. For the way he was treated. Left for dead. Remember that? 
left for dead by his own brothers. But he didn't do it. I'm sure you've seen that bumper sticker. I don't get angry, I get even. Have you seen that? If you haven't seen it, I hope you don't have one. (laughs) I don't get angry, I get even, right? Not Joseph. Not Joseph. His eyes were always fixed on the God of his father's. And what the Lord would have him to do in every situation. That's why when you look at the life of Joseph from Genesis chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50. Though he was human like you and me. Though I'm sure he would admit to the mistakes in his own life that he would have made. Just like we make some mistakes along the way, right? See, no, maybe so. We all do. Yet the Lord did something in the book of Genesis 37 to 50 that's interesting. We don't ever really get to see the faults of Joseph. Why? Because God wanted him to be an example of being like Christ. That's why we began a few months ago, a couple of months ago, in looking at the life of Joseph as a type of Jesus Christ. So to always remember, he was human. But the Lord's making a point. His eyes were always fixed on the God of his fathers and what the Lord would have him to do in every situation. Now, some people would say that it was easy for Joseph because he knew he was destined for glory. Really? Easy? Yeah, based on the dreams that he had. All the dreams that God gave him to give to his brothers. I mean, it's all about him being honored and him being, you know, bowed down to and all of that. That means there's something special coming for Joseph. But he didn't really know the specifics. He probably didn't even understand the dreams themselves. How many prophets that would receive a a word from God to give to the children of Israel really understood what some of those things were that that they were saying to them? Because it would be uh, fulfilled many, many years later. It wasn't for them to fully understand. It was for them to preach that, that message and that word. Same with Joseph. As a type of Christ, he's fulfilling that particular part of, of, of the preaching of God's will. So it wasn't easy. Now think about this. Those two dreams that we read about, those two dreams got him into more trouble and his brothers hated him even more than that. And how many of us just like to be hated by our own family? That's not a good feeling, is it? It's not a good feeling at all. Please take into account that as you read Genesis 37 through 50 and study the life of Joseph, you will see in this story that it is peppered with deceit, with lies, with favoritism, with jealousies, with with murderous thoughts, with sexual temptations, with wrong accusations, with unfair imprisonment, with being forgotten by friends, and the list could go on and on. There was nothing easy for Joseph as there is nothing easy for us in this life. Is anything easy for us? Really? He faced many of the adversities that you and I face. Sometimes daily he faced them. But oh, Oh, what a testimony Joseph's life is for us. I want you to consider something that Paul wrote in Romans 15, verse 4. He said, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And if you underline or highlight your Bible, do that to the word learning there. That everything from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament and what we call the Hebrew Scriptures, that everything in there is for our learning. Because understand this, we learn 
and in learning we grow, and in growing we mature, and in maturing we act in the will of God. Do you understand that pattern? Have you ever wondered how it is that we can ever get to that? Well, we get to that because we, we bow down to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to the strength and power of His Word. And we learn from His Word and, and we grow in His Word and we mature in His Word and we act out His Word. You see how important that is? How important it is that, and, and, I, and I, I, I make no apologies, I'll tell you this right now, I make no apologies that I began the book of Genesis in January of 2010, and we're still there. I make no apologies. I know people have left because they don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> they get tired of Genesis. got to be other books to teach. I spent two years teaching the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Why? Because I wanted you to be well equipped in the issues between creation and evolution. I wanted you to be well equipped with understanding that first verse of Genesis 1-1 that says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because if you can believe that, you can believe every verse that follows it. I have people write emails to me saying, oh, they were leaving because I am not a scientist. Praise the Lord for that. (laughs) Especially for all the scientists that there are out there who have become scientists because somebody told them that billions of years ago, nobody can actually call that science, yet they call it science billions of years ago. Who was around to see that? Because science is all about observable evidence. So who was, anybody old enough? It's theory. All I did was become a good researcher for you to teach you the Word of God and to let you know that the Word of God is more reliable than what some people are getting today in, in socialistic, humanistic, atheistic environments which are now flooding our educational system. I'm concerned. I want you to know the truth. I make no apologies. I thank God for giving me the direction of what to teach. But we learn to grow, and we grow to mature so that we may step out by faith to do the things that God wants us to do on, his, you know, on behalf of the kingdom of God, on his behalf, but really on behalf of his kingdom. So, Let's start with this most important thought. What we will be reading and studying in Genesis 37 through 50 is not just about Joseph. It isn't just about Joseph. It's not even about his brothers or Jacob or or Pharaoh of Egypt or Potiphar and his wife and all of that. It's above all about God. It's about God. It is about the God of Abram, the God of Yitzhak, and the God of Yaakov, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is about God's sovereignty. It is about His control and knowledge of every single detail of the account, just like His sovereignty is about the control and knowledge of every single detail of your life and mine. Now, most of you may remember, as I mentioned earlier, that back about two months ago, I had begun a study in Genesis 37, and I entitled it, God Ain't Done Yet, using my best King's English. God Ain't Done Yet. And it dealt primarily with the typology of Joseph to Jesus. In other words, focusing our attention on Joseph being a type of Christ. Now, we barely scratched the surface of this typology with two points. The first point is this. Joseph was well-beloved of his father. And the reason why this is typology, because when you go, back to, go to the Gospels, you realize that uh, the Father would, uh, would say in the, in the presence of some of the disciples, if not a lot of other people as well, but there were a few times when God would actually speak and people would hear Him say, This is my beloved Son, of whom I am well pleased. And so there is this connection where Joseph is a type of Jesus because he was well-beloved of his father. 
And then the second point we talked about was that Joseph was sent by his father about his brethren and flocks. The typology here, of course, is that God the Father sent his only begotten son Jesus to take upon himself flesh and to come to this world like us, to look like us and all, but actually to be without sin. He came among his own, it tells us in John 1. He came among his own, but his own did not receive him. So, think about this. Joseph was among his brothers. Did his brothers receive him? Not at all. As a matter of fact, they wanted to kill him. Some of them wanted to kill him. Eventually, they left him for dead. Are you seeing the typology here? Okay, so we touched upon those particular two things. Now we need to remember that there are over a hundred types of Christ in Joseph throughout the scriptures. But as with Jesus, Joseph was loved and hated. As with Jesus, Joseph was favored and abused. As with Jesus, Joseph was tempted and trusted. As with Jesus, Joseph was exalted and abased. Now, Joseph's greatest single characteristic was his absolute faithfulness to God under all circumstances. And it is through this that God worked to exalt him so highly. As was with Jesus, so it was with Joseph. And so in a general sense, we want to revisit the beginnings of the life of Joseph by focusing on three more points today. The first one is this, and they'll come up here in just a moment. But the first one is God's plan for Joseph. Secondly, God's purpose in that plan. And then thirdly, God's presence with Joseph. So let's begin with God's plan for Joseph. As we look at the entire account of Joseph's life, we discover without a doubt that God had a plan for Joseph, just like he has a plan for each and every one of us. And may I say, whether we believe or not. (laughs) Now we'll begin to know and understand that plan if we come to faith in Christ. Then we really know that we have a plan that God has for us. So I hope you come to faith in Jesus Christ so you'll know what that plan is. But even though the plan was unknown by Joseph, it was known by God. Same thing with us. There are a lot of of the plan that God has for us that we don't really know, but that's okay. Can, Can you be comforted in knowing that God knows it? Oh, that's not very convincing. Can you be comforted in knowing that God knows the plan better than you know it? I hope so. Praise the Lord. All right. Because you see, it was a plan for Joseph that took Joseph from, and follow me here, from riches. Remember, his father was very wealthy. He took Joseph from riches to rags when his brothers left him for dead. And then he went from rags to riches when he was uh, purchased by Potiphar. But then he went from those riches back to rags because Potiphar's wife accused him of rape, which of course he didn't do. And then he was in prison for 13 years and he went from those rags back to riches by being in a high position in the government of Egypt. Let's put it this way, okay? Here we go. I'm going to mention a lot of words that begin with the letter P, so if you like, like to write those things down, you can, but it's going to be real fast. I'm not going to put them up here. But Joseph went from being the pet of the family, there's one, the pet of the family, to the point where there was a plot devised against him, his brothers. The plot led him to a dark and cold pit. They buried him. From the pit, he would be taken to Potiphar. From Potiphar... Uh, and, and that, 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 that thing that happened with his wife, well, he went to prison. But then after 13 years, he went from prison to a palace. And from a palace, he became the prime minister of Egypt. Now that's quite a plan, isn't it? That's quite a plan. Joseph didn't know that. And, and the reason I say that is because simply what Joseph always did What Joseph always did was what was right before God, and he left the consequences to God. Now, I want to say that again. Simply, Joseph always did that which was right before God, and he left the consequences with God. Now, now let me just say that consequences aren't always bad, but a lot of times consequences come from bad things, right? 
Sometimes there's good consequences, but a lot of times there's mostly bad consequences. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we, do, we think, well, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that because I want to be pleasing to God. And then, and then all of a sudden you, you hit a, a, a problem and, and there's, a, uh, there's a, a consequence that happens and it's a bad consequence. And you hit this thing and then you say, Lord, why'd you do that? Why did you, have the, why, why did you attack me this way? Or why did you let this happen to me? I mean, I've been doing good, haven't I? I've been doing good. And we get mad at God. Now, none of you have ever done that, right? Nobody's laughing because nobody wants to admit it. Huh. I think we've all done it. Because we think that what we do is to please God so He does something good for us. But we're not understanding what it means to see God's good done for us. What Joseph did and what we see in his life is that he always did what was right before God and he left whatever consequence came from it to God, good or bad, good or bad. He knew that in spite of the difficult circumstances that he had to go through, there was the God whom his great-grandfather and his grandfather and his father had served. And the same God would keep his hand upon him. The same God whose hand was upon Abraham and A- or Abraham was the same hand that was upon Joseph. The same hand that was on Isaac or Isaac was the same hand that was on Joseph. The same hand that was upon Jacob, his father, was the same hand that was upon him. This is what it is to really have faith in God and His plan. Even though we cannot always see clearly the plan of God in our lives, we can always trust Him. Can you agree with me on that? Even though we cannot always see clearly the plan of God in our lives, we can always trust Him. We can always trust God, no matter what. Because He knows the plan. And he knows, he knows what comes at the end, too. See, sometimes we struggle with that. This is why this passage in Proverbs chapter 3 is so important. Verses 3, uh, I'm sorry, verses 5 through 8 of Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Folks, notice, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not half of your heart or some of your heart or the majority of your heart or, or a little bit of your heart. It says, trust with all your heart. We need to be wholeheartedly trusting in God. Have you ever been accused of doing work half-heartedly? It means you can you know, kind of just do it, uh, whatever. No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't live your Christian life that way. Whatever we do is to be done for the Lord, and it is to be done with a whole heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. There's no room for any half-heartedness here. So we are to trust the Lord the same way. and We are to trust Him with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding, which is also my understanding. I don't have an understanding that's better than God's understanding. Therefore, I need to lean on His understanding. You see why the problem exists? We say we love God, but then we try to base our lives on leaning upon our own understanding. What are we saying? God, your understanding is not like mine. Well, that's true, except that his understanding is a lot better than ours. We're making our understanding sound like it's better than his. Do you understand that? (sighs) Trying to help you here. We all go through this. In all your ways, acknowledge him in all your ways. Now, uh, we need to exclude... False humility. You know, we really want the credit for things that happen. But we have to, we have to tell people, well, well, it was the Lord, but I did it. See, it was the Lord, we say, but inside we're saying, yeah, but it was me. It was my plan. I'm really good. That's why God loves me so much. 
loves me more than you guys. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, no. In all your ways, acknowledge him. It's the Lord. And when we do acknowledge him, he directs our paths. You know, we, we, can, we can do a superficial kind of acknowledgement to God and then we go off and do our own thing. Is that? No, no, no. You see, we need him to direct our paths. Therefore, we need to acknowledge him. He knows better. He understands better. How about letting him do it? Look at the next verse. Do not be wise in your own eyes. There's the problem. We think we're wiser than God. Now that's the way the world acts. They think they're always wiser than God. Even though they don't believe in God, they just think they're wiser than God. That's ludicrous. Here's what we are to do as believers. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. But here's what it means to fear the Lord. Are you ready? Worship the Lord with all of your heart. Honor the Lord with all of your heart. Bless the Lord with all of your heart. Praise the Lord with all of your heart. Reverence the Lord with all of your heart. Respect the Lord with all of your heart. Bow down to Him because He's worthy. Fear the Lord. That's all that means. And then depart from evil. And then depart from evil. Because we all have to face it from time to time. And sometimes it's... The enemy tries to plant in us, you know. We don't let him do it. But it'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, now let's go beyond just the physical here for a minute. For a minute. My sister-in-law just lost her husband, my brother, recently. And she's bedridden. She cannot get out of bed any longer. She has MS. Now, she was getting out of bed, and she used to, you know, for 14 years she's had it, and, and uh, for much of that time she, she's got around in a little scooter thing, you know, whatever they call those things. And, and, uh, and they travel all over the place, you know, and all, but about a year ago, about a year and a half ago or so, she had a, a fall and they took her to the hospital and discovered she had some heart problems as well. And so back then they put a, a, a pacemaker in her. And since then, she hasn't been able to get out of bed. And, uh, and yet when I call her and talk to her, and, and, and I just want to keep in touch with her and see how she's doing and all, we always get into a conversation about the Lord. And I hear how she's trusting the Lord in spite of her ailment, in spite of her being bedridden. She's trusting the Lord. And, and it encourages my heart. And, I, and I, it, it makes me always think of, of Amy Carmichael. Some of you may know who... Amy Carmichael is. She used to, well, write uh, some wonderful devotional books. This was years and years ago. Uh, she had a desire to go to India to, that's Amy Carmichael, not my sister. <laughs> but she went to India as a missionary. And while there, she contracted some kind of a disease that made her bedridden. And I believe, it was a, I believe it was for 47 years. She never came out of bed. She never could get out. But that didn't keep her from beginning ministries that would reach out to girls in, in, in India that, uh, to keep them from going into prostitution and, and, and other types of ministries that she began as God gave her the wisdom where she was in bed. And, and then she had this tremendous prayer life. People would write from, you know, from all parts of the world and ask her to pray for things because she went before the throne of God for them. Health to your, to, health to your flesh, strength to your bones. Look at us here today. How we got here. With what God has given us. 
Are we serving Him? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to make you understand that nothing has to keep us from serving the Lord when we trust Him, when we acknowledge Him, when we worship Him. He gives us strength. Think about that. 47 years and she ministered from her bed. Consider this now, because we have to move on. I don't want to keep you all too long. But how often was Joseph tempted now? How often was Joseph tempted to conform to the things of this world? This is certainly one of the goals that the Lord has for us as we learn of Joseph's life of faith. Here at the very beginning of the account of his life, Joseph's spiritual integrity was put to the test. And we'll, we'll get into more detail next time. But would he be squeezed, and here's the question, would he be squeezed into the mold of his brothers? Would he be squeezed into the mold of the world? Because really his brothers at this point were really worldly. Even the brother who, who, through whom Jesus would come, Judah, through his line, Even that brother was involved in some very wicked things before. So would he be squeezed into the mold of his brothers? Would he be pressured, in another account later, would he be pressured into being a rival for his mother's affections when his brother Benjamin would be born? Would he succumb to the elbowing and shoving and being the butt of his uh, his older brother's jokes as well as their resentment and ridicule? Would he be squeezed into their mold? Are you feeling like you're being squeezed into the mold of the world? May I introduce you to Romans chapter 12 verse 2 where Paul says, And do not be conformed, which in a word says, Do not be molded to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, now notice this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Is God's plan for you a good plan? Is it an acceptable plan? Is it a perfect plan? Well, the Lord tells us if we're not conformed to this world but transformed by the renewing of our minds, it is so that we may know and prove that what God has plan for us is good acceptable and perfect and it leads us to this point that God's purpose in that plan that he gave to Joseph God's purpose in that plan because with every plan that the Lord has for our lives he also has a purpose we don't always know what the end result is going to be or we don't always know what the purpose is But I know this, God always hits the target that He wants to hit, even though at times His arrow has to turn corners. Now, how many of you are used to do archery, are familiar with archery? You know, any of you, a few of you? Okay. Uh, I, I, I wanted to, you know, I, I'd go to the YMCA in the summer and, they, and I, I signed up for archery class and I was taken downstairs into this, you know, with a bunch of guys, you know, we went in the, down, down to the basement and it was hot, there was no air conditioner, I was, I was dying. And, and there was a target down at the other end and they would show you how to pull back on the bow and all of this kind of stuff. And, and you know, I never hit the target. I said, okay, I got to go do something else, man, because this was bad. I mean, I never hit the target. And then when I found out how God used that very same terminology in the scriptures about sin, ooh, pior, man, because, well, because, you know, I, I, I learned that, uh, you know, there is this word, hamartia, which, which means missing the mark, which means missing the target. That's what sin is. That's how it's defined, missing the mark. I said, oh, God, have mercy on my soul. I can't hit a target in front of me, and, and I'm a sinner. Well, praise the Lord. Jesus hit the mark, and I hope I'm hitting the mark too. But that's the thing. While we might miss the target in our lives, there, I, and I don't think there was ever an arrow that you shot down that, 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 you know, that went around a corner. Uh, but sometimes the Lord just does, but, but 
It does because he's got perfect aim and he knows how to get those arrows around corners. And we need to know that about God because you see, that's what happened in the life of Joseph. To reach that purpose in his life, the Lord had to take him around a lot of unexpected corners. And I can tell you this right now, you all will agree with me, we don't like unexpected corners. We don't like those unexpected turns. We don't like to make a turn and all of a sudden see a, a Greyhound bus headed right at us. We don't like to make that turn and see that semi coming right in front of us. Not stopped, coming at us. We don't like those unexpected events in life. <coughs> if we could go through life without them, we would almost seem like it's all worth it. But I can say this, because of sin, there's always going to be unexpected events. Because of our humanness, because of our imperfections, there will always be unexpected events. And God had to take Joseph through a lot of dark days. That's why this study is going to be good for us. What purpose did God have for Joseph? Well, I want you to turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 50, which doesn't mean that we're going to finish all of Genesis today. We're just going to the last chapter. So let's go there. Genesis 50. <coughs> Excuse me. Genesis 50. Now, as I said, the, the, the brothers of Joseph had come down to Egypt, you know, and, and I don't want to go through all of the stuff, but eventually the person that they didn't realize was their brother reveals himself to them. And there is tremendous fear because of that. Because, as you know, when you finally face the person that you've hated and that you've hurt, and you wonder what the reprisal is going to be, you kind of wince a little bit. But I want you to notice what Joseph told them. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. He said, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. We may not understand that fully yet, but we can understand this one thing, that what man will always mean to a with evil toward us or against us, God will turn for good. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now notice this. Sometimes we don't even realize that the purpose is that we finally begin to understand about God's plan in our lives it may go way beyond just that little area God's purposes will affect many, many more people without us even knowing that. But it, if it has brought good to us, then we need to give praise to God for that. Because whatever good is going to be brought to us and we begin to walk in the love of God and in the love of Christ and begin to do the things that God wants us to do because we've learned, grown, matured, and now have acted, we're going to affect a lot more people. That was God's purpose in you. That was God's purpose for you. Are we affecting the lives of others? It was going to affect the whole. Eventually, the whole of the nation of Israel. Let me ask you a question. In this passage, who does Joseph say that was behind all the difficulties that he had to go through? Now don't answer, just think about that question. Who does Joseph say that was behind all the difficulties that he had to go through? See, it would, be, it, it would do us good to remember that in the midst of difficult circumstances and in the midst of people who may be evil to us, that above circumstances and above people, there is God. That's why Joseph said, Am I in the place of God? 
Oh, my brothers, it was God who orchestrated all these things and such, and as such I cannot take any action against you. In other words, I know you meant evil, but God was in His place. He knew everything. God has meant it for good. And it was as if Joseph knew what the Apostle Paul would write 1900 years later in Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Even the bad things that I've had to struggle with, all things work together for good. Even the tragedies that I've had to endure recently, all things work together for good. Even the loss of things, of jobs, or the loss of people, all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to His purpose. This is the way the Lord works in our lives. He takes the evil things. He takes the tears, the pains, the sorrows, the afflictions of life, and He mixes them together to produce His good and purposeful results. By the way, the words work together here, are expressed by the single Greek word synerge, from which we get the word synergy or synergism, which is a combined action or operation primarily used in pharmaceuticals and in medicine. The whole idea is we mix all these things together to, you know, for the good, to bring healing, to bring help. Whether it does, you know, nowadays with all the stuff, you know, but that's the whole purpose of synergy in the, in the sense of its action is toward good. That's why this phrase is used here. Lastly, we need to touch on God's presence with Joseph. God's presence with Joseph. Because throughout the entire account of Joseph's life, there are some little phrases that just stand out like stars in Joseph's dark nights. Any idea that Joseph was abandoned by God are squashed by these little phrases. So if you will, go to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. I'll go there with you so you can see this. Genesis 39. All right. Now it starts this way in verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. But notice the next phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Don't forget that. Mark it down. Highlight it. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. That being, of course, Potiphar. Now, you skip down to verse 21. A lot has happened in the verses between verses 1 and 2 and verse 21. I mean, Potiphar uh, introduces his wife to Joseph, and then his wife has these eyes for Joseph, you know, and, and trying to seduce him and all. But Joseph was a man of God, and he, you know, did everything he could to avoid all this stuff. Well, anyway, we're going to get into that later. But if you look down at verse 21, notice what it says. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of his keeper of the prison, in the sight of the keeper of the prison, which tells us by now he has been caught because, uh, you know, he had to run out of the house because, but then she accused him of stuff. And, and, uh, and so they arrested him and they put him in prison. He didn't do anything. I mean, he was trying to, he was, he was a godly man. He, he didn't do anything. Now, what would you be doing? I didn't do it. This is so unfair. The Lord was with Joseph in this great trial. You go down two more verses, and it says in verse 23, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. Uh, a lot happens in this chapter. Uh, you know, a lot of time goes by in just one little chapter, but, but you'll notice that through it all, the Lord was with Joseph, blessing him even in prison. Blessing him even in prison. 
So much so that whatever Joseph did in prison, he prospered. And this is the truth that you and I can enjoy throughout our lives. The truth that we hear Jesus himself say to us in Matthew 28, verse 20, when he says, And lo, I am with you always. Right there in the middle of the verse. And lo, I am with you always. By the way, that, that little word, lo, you know, sometimes we think it's just a, kind of a nice little uh, poetic word. And lo, I am with you always. You know what lo means? Uh, it means, hey, behold, look really carefully. I am going to be with you always. I'm sorry to shout at you, but yeah. I'm trying to emphasize what that little word means. Really look, I'm with you always. Really pay attention, I'm with you always. And even to the end of the age. We're reminded in Hebrews 13 verse 5, not only that we're to let our conduct be without covetousness, to be content with such things as we have, but he says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. He will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So where does that bring us back to? Well, it brings us back to the hymn, Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Will you trust the Lord? No matter what you face, no matter what struggle you're in, no matter how deep and bad the consequence of something may be, will you remember that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord is with you. He won't leave you. He'll only strengthen you. Don't be molded into the world. Be like Joseph, a man who walked with God and a man with whom God walked. Let's pray.